So uh, this morning I have uh, a joy and a privilege. Uh, I'm not giving the sermon today. Some of you are like, whoo, thank gosh. Okay. Um, no, um, honestly, uh, the, the man who's speaking today, his name is Emmanuel Garraway. And uh, he has been a brother to me. He has pastored me through uh, some really difficult times. And so he's a really good friend. Uh, please welcome Emmanuel Garraway. So scripture says to outdo each other in honor. So I'm outdo you, Lane. Um, I, I have to say this man has, like he said, he's been a godsend to me. Um, when I moved to the state of Oregon, 2020, uh, my first day working at East Hill Church as a young adults pastor, when the whole world shut down, and so was, I was able to get connected with him. And beyond like doing ministry together, he was a brother to me. And I'm so blessed to have a relationship with you that came from such a traumatic experience. But I, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have you in my corner. So thank you for, for being there for me, bro. Can we clap it up for Pastor Lane? And, and two, I didn't throw, so this is new. You didn't hear this first service. Um, and just to see you in this position, like leading people, it makes me emotional. So I'm so proud of you. Like, the, you are killing the game. So I love you, bro. All right. Without further ado, again, my name is Emmanuel. Um, I come from well, Sandy. I live in Sandy, Oregon. I'm not from Sandy. Um, I grew up in the state of Washington. Uh, my wife is not here. Actually, they won't be here. My, my daughter woke up with pink eyes, so that sucks. Um, <laughs> don't want that in here. Uh, but I, my wife and I, Michelle, we've... We've been married nine years. Next year will be 10 years, which is crazy. Yeah, you could clap for that. She's watching online. She's like, yeah, you better clap, because she's had to deal with me for the last nine and a half years. So she, she's anointed for that. Uh, we got three beautiful daughters, um, eight, seven. My youngest will be six in January. So Ava, Naomi, and Trinity. And we have a dog that we just got. And y'all can pray for me with him. His name is Kobe, my favorite basketball player. Shout out to Kobe right there in the room. Uh, he's, I, I swear, like, raising a dog is more so like raising the dog owner. Because it's, it's hard work. Like, I'm like, I can tell my kids to put that away. I'm like, Kobe, sit down. He's like, I'm like, whatever, bro. Just, just get on my face for a minute. But we, we also have one child um, in heaven. Uh, he would have been Emmanuel Jr. So eight, seven, six and five, so clearly we didn't waste any time. Uh, anyway, uh, I had the privilege of, of talking about another subject that Lane tends to put me through this type of pain, is talking about things that I don't like. Like every time he asks me to come speak, it's like, hey, can you talk about, I'm like, dude, leave me alone. Like ask somebody to talk about that. <laughs> like I don't want to be the person that, ha anyway, so you, you get to deal with that one. But I had the privilege of, of talking about and continuing on your guys' series, Waiting Well. And, and I get to tackle the subject of what happens when we wait. And before we do that, I want, I want to share a little funny story of uh, an incident of me waiting. Uh, my birthday is on Christmas. Is anybody, is, I know we had first service, we had Brett, Brett's daughter, uh, son was born on Christmas. Is there any, any other Christmas babies in here? Cool, so I'm special. So I'm... <laughs> I'm born on Christmas. Christmas is now just Christmas. It's not even my birthday. It's just another day. It's like for the kids. 
It's just I, I turn another age now. But there was this one Christmas uh, prior to this time, I got in a car wreck, totaled my car, and so my family was like, you know, we're going to bless you with the vehicles. I'm like, oh, bet. Like, I get the car that I'm... For some reason, when I heard car, I heard Chevy Impala, black on black, with 20-inch rims, 12-inch subwoofers. Like, that's what I had in my mind. I'm like, yep, I'm getting that car. Like, finally. So time passed. It comes to Christmas Day. We're opening presents, and, like, there's nothing. There's no, like, surprise. I'm like, dang, really? Y'all forgot about me? Whatever. Just another Christmas. But then my mom's like, all right, here we go. Bed sheet over my head. It wasn't really a bed sheet. It was blindfolders. So my, my mom and my uncle walk me outside. They're like, all right. I'm like, oh, gosh, I got it. I got the car. I got the car. So I get outside. They're like, surprise. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And I walk. I'm like, what is this? This is not a Chevy Impala black on black with 20 inch rims. This is not that. It ends up being like this old beater 1992 Honda Accord with like plasti dip green paint all over it. And in fact, it sounded more like a, a, a military tank than a car itself. But I was like, dang, this is, this is the car I got to drive? Like, y'all couldn't do better than that? <laughs> like, really? Anyway, but what I saw in that moment was where my heart was. Like, I saw in my waiting, I, I developed this, this expectation that I was going to get the thing that I wanted, but it ended up being the thing that I needed. I don't think you heard that. I'm a black preacher, so we need to, we need to commute. I see a cop. We need to talk, please. Please. I need to know I'm on the right path. I, I got the thing that I wanted, but I didn't get the thing. Well, I got the thing that I needed, but I didn't get the thing that I wanted. I had this, this, this expectation of this Chevy Impala 22-inch rims, 12-inch subwoofers, black on black. You hear, I want you to catch this. Like, I want you to know this is what I wanted. And I didn't get that. And I got this thing that I'm like, oh, people know when Emmanuel is running in town because you see this car. Like, there's nobody in the city that has this. But this thing, this vehicle ended up being a blessing for me. I was able to no longer have to walk to work and catch the bus and bum rides off of friends like, hey, bro, I'll spot you gas money or better yet, I'll buy you McChicken and we're good, right? Like, I finally got this car. But I learned that Usually things show up in the way that you don't expect. But when you wait is when you learn the things that you thought in the process. Say process. See, it's the process that sucks, man. Like from the promise to the promise fulfilled. We live in this, prom uh, this process. We'll get, uh, get to that in a second. But in this process, we develop these expectations or lack thereof. And sometimes we can be devastated. But it's how we wait that's essential. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I ask God that you would speak this morning. Would you show up in power? Would you reveal yourself to us, especially in the seasons of waiting? God, we, we want to hear from you. We want to know where you're at in this present time that we're in where we don't see the thing that you're doing. So, God, we love you. I pray that you would bring healing, restoration. Would you do the miraculous? Would you show up? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So turn your Bibles, smartphones, tablets, Kindles, whatever you got to Genesis chapter 16. And this is where we're going to begin. And when you get there, say, I have the word of God. 
You got to say it like that, too. Like, TDJ, I have the word of God. Like, please say it like that. That would make my heart so glad. You guys are still flipping. I got to hear it. Let me hear it. Yes! Let's go. Clearly, I'm a young adult pastor, so I, yeah, anyway. So Genesis chapter 16, we're going to start with verse 1. And it's up on the screen if you don't have it. Uh, now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. So to give some context to this here, uh, we don't have all the time in the world to get to it, so I'm going to give you a microwave version. Um, Abraham is promised, say promised, he's promised to be a father to many nations, and within that, God also spoke that whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be cursed. So prior to this particular moment, Abraham, at the time Abram, had a moment where he failed to trust God in the process. And, and he saw that, like, as he interacted into a new place, encountering Egyptians, he's like, hey, babe. Well, he didn't say this. I'm just microwave verse, okay? Don't, for you theologians, please don't come after me. But... <laughs> It says his wife was beautiful in sight. So he's like, hey, babe, you look good. Why don't we say that you're my sister so they don't kill me or kill us? It's like, and she's like, that's a great idea. So they go on with that. Out of their innocence, he's like, whoa, why did you lie to me? Like, if I would have known, I would have honored you, protected you. And because of their, their misguided view on things, God ends up punishing these people on their disobedience. But God was also being faithful to his word by saying, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But because of this, Abraham came out of it with a lot of possessions, and some of them happened to be a slave. And this is where we see Hagar coming from this place. So Hagar ends up being a victim to somebody's lack of trust. And so my, before we get into waiting well, or what does it look like to wait I got to talk about what it looks like when we don't wait. I'm infamous of being so impatient. Like, by the grace of God, there was no cars on the road coming from Sandy to Newburgh, so I probably made it here about 47, 45 minutes instead of the 58 minutes, and that was stopping to get coffee too. So I got issues, okay? I'm very impatient. I like to get things done in my timing. I gotta have something tangible, right? But when we are waiting and things don't come in the timing that we're hoping or expecting like my, my green plastic dip car, when we don't wait, we end up taking matters into our own hands. And that's a reflection of our heart because we end up doubting the creator of the universe. We end up questioning the promise keeper, Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end. We, get, we question, say, are you really a man of your word? Surely you are God, but can you do this? And that happens when we wait oftentimes because we can't trust when we don't see things happen in the way that we like. And here in this moment, 
Abraham and Sarah were promised. They were promised a son. But because it wasn't happening in the time that it, they expected, and we see here, it says it took 10 years from the last time God spoke to them to see some type of progression. They haven't seen anything. So in their mind, again, we see another failed opportunity to trust God. We're like, you know what? You know, babe, I'm, I'm beyond my years of having a child. Why don't you go sleep with Hagar? Surely that's the way that God's going to build this family. He's like, all right. Like, for us dudes, like, how often do we say, like, all right, yeah, sounds good to me. Strap them with little straps, that's not going nowhere, right? We, we do this often, but we, we take things into our own hands because we don't see the promise fulfilled and the timing that it happens, which, in turn, we give birth to Ishmael's. Now, I want to be sensitive to this. Because I, I have, in, in fact, myself, my wife and I, we've experienced infertility or delayed process of having a child. We've experienced child loss. So I'm, hear me when I say this. I'm being ve- I want to be very conscientious of where everybody's at in the room. But when we take matters into our own hands, this is what happens. So verse 4 says, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This is what happens when we take matters into our own hands. They, in fact, end up conceiving a son, but it wasn't the way that God said it should be and would be. I don't know about you, but how many things, figuratively figuratively speaking, how many Ishmaels have we given birth to or conceived because we didn't trust the promise keeper and the promise maker? And also, in result of that, how, what were the consequences that followed our choices in taking matters into our own hands? Because I don't know about you, we see later on in the text where she was shamed. And there was division and discord in between the two families. But God still blessed them. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I can't help think about myself like the Ishmaels, the things that I went premature ahead of God and saying, you know what, it's not coming in the timing that it should, so I'm going to do it in my own way. Like relationships that I've been in, like God said, wait, like I have a wife. And I'm like, I had a dream that she was wearing white pants and her hair was straightened or curly and she was wearing this jet denim jacket like, and she could sing and she was lit, singing uh, an Israel Hooten song. Like that's, there she is, she's my wife, that's it. Like, No, bro, chill out. But that's what happens when we don't wait well. We get ahead of God's timing and we conceive things like Ishmael that happen. But here's another thing that happens when we don't wait well. Verse 5 says, Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. So when we don't wait well, and we're in moments like this, when we've conceived an Ishmael, we oftentimes deflect responsibility. I'm guilty of this. I know my wife is watching. She's like, yeah, you do. Like, I, like you get confronted. It's like, man, I screwed up. It's like, well, you know, if you wouldn't have did it this way, then I wouldn't have had to respond this way. So really, it's your fault. Nah, bro. Like, we, we deflect ownership. And honestly, this is a reflection of what we see happen in the garden, with Adam and Eve. One takes 
I'm not going to call the apple because it's not. One takes the fruit and eats it, and, and then we see this whole blame shifting happening. It was like, well, the woman you gave me told me to eat it. Right? We deflect responsibility from the things that we concede, even though we don't want to own it ourselves. But this is some things that happen when we don't wait. We put ourselves in these sticky situations when we're faced with the consequences. But watch this. Here's here's the first point that I'd like to talk about when it comes to waiting well. What happens when we do wait? Number one is he reveals his will in the waiting. He reveals his will in the waiting. So Genesis chapter 18, verse 9 to 15, is another phase of this story between Abraham and Sarai. And starting at verse 9, it says, where is your wife, Sarah? Say, where is your wife? Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. He reveals his will in the waiting. See, what we see here, now mind you, in this particular moment, the angels of the Lord are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and God and Abraham sees him. He's like, oh, hey, stay here. Like, can I, can I host you? So he's like, all right, let me go get, let me slaughter this cow. We're going to make a medium rare steak. Got the, the Mediterranean Sea salt I'm going to put on there. We're going to have a feast. I'm going to take care of you. He didn't really do that, but I'm, you get the point. He's trying to host them. Abraham is busy doing all of these things, and his wife is stuck in the tent. Now, let me pause here for a minute. How many of you feel stuck in a tent? Because that tent for Sarah represented something. That tent represented defeat, depression, aware of her reality and hopelessness because Surely this would never happen. That tent, re- that tent resembled I'm forgotten. But watch this. God was still faithful to reveal himself to the tent that she was in. By seeing her and saying, why did you laugh? She didn't think that God would hear that. And mind you, she's so close to the presence of God, she didn't even realize it. He's outside of the tent. But she's stuck in the thought pattern that she's not good enough, that she's unworthy, that she will never have a child, that this is going to be her circumstance for the rest of her life. And because they now have a child named Ishmael that she's not the mother of, they have to live this way for the rest of their life. But God was faithful enough to reveal his will to them and remind them that he would fulfill the promise that he spoke in. 
Now, for you in this room, as you are questioning, doubting, while you're waiting, God is showing up to you in the tent that you're in saying, I have not forgotten about you. And I will reveal my will and my plan while you're waiting. Now, oftentimes, like any, any parents in the room, awesome. So, parents, you know this all too well. Our kids ask us for something. I got younger ones. And sometimes you have to tell them like a million times, I'm going to do it. Like, just trust me on it. Like, a minute translates to like maybe an hour, maybe next week. But for them, they're like, I need it now. I need it now. But you tell them, I got you. If you just wait, I got you. If you just wait. And then you see my daughter climbing on top of a chair on top of the counter, trying to get cereal, and everything's up on the floor. It's a mess. But it's like, if you just would have waited, I would have taken care of you. I have the power. I have the resources. I'm clearly taller than you, so it's not much for me to do this on your behalf. But you just got to trust me. And yet, still being gentle enough to say, don't worry, I'm going to help you clean up this mess, and I'm still going to give you the thing that I told you that I would do. But that's God. In the tent that you're in, the mess that you may have made, the stinking thinking that you may have, whether you are in a tent of anxiety or depression because you're waiting for a loved one to come back to Jesus, or you're in a tent of depression because you don't know if you're ever going to get the healing that you heard that you thought you were going to get, or you're in the tent waiting to have a child because you long to have a child of your own, or you experience miscarriage after miscarriage, and you're wanting God to come through, and you're still in the tent of like, God, I don't think this is ever going to happen for me. I feel forgotten. God still shows up and reveals his will. He steps into the tent and says, son, daughter, I see you, and you are not forgotten. The father or mother that you've been praying for to have relationship with again, I see you. I know you've been wounded by that person, but the trauma that you experience, I have the power to heal you from. The community that you're longing for and you feel rejected and isolated in the tent that you're in, God still steps in and says, I still love you. I still see you. My calling is still yes and amen. You are not forgotten You are not abandoned. I still care for you. In fact, I say cast your cares on me because I care for you. And I care for you more than the cares that you care about. So he reveals himself. This is the the first point. He reveals himself in the waiting. Number two, waiting changes us. Say it changes us. Waiting changes us. I don't like change. (laughs) I really don't. Like change it's good, but like I can, I can kind of be a little stuck in my ways at times. But it changes us. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's like suffering. I, I can't help but think about Job, but really suffering is waiting. Like bearing up under a weight and you're trying to hold it and you're waiting for somebody to help, but, you, but you're not getting the relief. You're like, this is going to crush me. 
But it's in those moments, my man right here is pretty jacked. It's those moments that when you're working out, as you're breaking down muscle, you endure pain. You have to literally break things down to build it up. And that's what happens when we suffer or when we wait is we are literally get our flesh is getting broken down and God is producing character like you're becoming a man or woman of integrity. You're becoming somebody who has faith and trust in impossible circumstances. And you, you get to have hope. Like, I can't help but think about the children of Israel. Like, in one, in one particular part of the text, it says they built an altar to remember what God did for them at that moment. And how many altars have you built in your life where you can look back and say, you know what? God, you were faithful right here. God, you were faithful there. You were faithful to bring to help me get a job. You were faithful to, to pay that mortgage note. God, you were faithful to heal this, this broken relationship. God, you were faithful to draw near to me and my wife through child loss. So I've seen you do it before. I know you can do it again. Character, hope, perseverance. You're able to endure you're able to run a little bit longer. Each time you go through something, I like comfort, but I know that going through something produces strength. And watch this. As you wait, as you suffer, as you endure, people are watching you. There's a whole community outside of these four walls that are watching the way you live your life because they're desperately trying to grab something to find hope in. And they can see, wow, why are you smiling? Like you just went, your whole world has been devastated. Your whole world has been blown up. How are you still joyful? It's like, it's, it's nothing but God. But that's what happens when we wait. It changes us. Like a metamorphosis process actually takes place where we die and Christ comes alive in us. And we get to find hope. In our Savior. So number three, and this is going back to what I was referencing earlier before. Genesis 16, 7 to 13 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is, that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the Lord, the, the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress. What? First of all, that's pretty backwards in my mind. Anyway, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will, have, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Watch this. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For, I, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. One thing that we do see in the waiting is that God is faithful in the waiting. As she fled for her life out of shame, out of rejection, 
out of her own wounds, being shunned from a community, or so she felt, God was still faithful to see her right where she was at. In the shame, in the pain, in the trauma, God showed up for her and still blessed what they took into their own hands. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who sees you in the season of waiting that you're in right now. He's the God who is actually near and dear to your broken heart. He is actually the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the same God that will show up on the good days and the not so good days. And I'm sure you could probably think of other words to put there. But he's faithful. And he's a God who sees you. As you long suffer through trying to bear a child into this world, he sees you. As you long to wait for and expecting and and anticipating a good doctor's report or you're trying to overcome a medical condition, he's still the God that sees you. As you're waiting for a job and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how my business is going to stay afloat. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills. I don't know how I'm going to put food on the table. He's still the God who sees you. Listen, I know it's messy right now. I know it is. I know things don't look like you can see even a glimmer through a window. But I promise you, God is faithful. He's never let you down. He never will. In fact, the fact that you're in here in this room going through a sermon series about waiting shows that he is still faithful in your life to give you encouragement and hope and ultimately the hope that you can only rest in, and that's in Jesus. Yeah, you can go ahead and clap for that. Yeah. Are we good? We're good? Perfect. I love it. Just, I haven't checked in in a while, so it's been a minute. So we're, we're good. So one other thing that we learn from waiting is we learn to rest. Now, I, I struggle with working too hard or always being on the go. Like my wife even tells me, we got, I got some things I got to work. I'm not perfect, okay? But she's like, I don't know how you do it. Like how do you do what you do? Like you're always, like you wake up at five, you do your devotions, you make a pour over coffee, you go to work, you come back, you cook dinner, you help around the house. I'm like, I don't know. But I, I had this, 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 is, this is now just me talking. I, I, I given this perception of like I'm Superman. When I'm not, I'm more Clark Kent than Superman. But this whole unction of like, I got to do something really is a wounding for me of trying to get validation and approval and blah, 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 blah. But really in waiting seasons or just life in general is learning how to rest. Because rest is directly connected to trust. Like when you can trust you can rest. When you can rest, you trust. They both go hand in hand. And I got trust issues. Because <laughs> as I sit, even, even, I, even as I sit sometimes, I'm watching, unfortunately, our Ducks lost yesterday. I'm still, I'm still mad about that. 
don't get me started. My cousin, he was a track athlete, University of Washington. He's like, yeah, we want, like, Jalen, leave me alone. <laughs> anyway, even sitting down watching TV show, like, I can hear this thing in the back of my mind, like, you're being lazy. You got to do something. Like, you don't deserve to rest. Like, I, I want to come against that lie for whoever's believing this in the back of your mind that you don't deserve rest. Like, God the creator of the universe, part of the creation story is he rested. So if he rested, how are we exempt from that? How are we exempt from Sabbath, from delighting and saying, ah, look what God did. And being able to reflect and get rejuvenated so that you can move forward and move on. But yet we live in this consumeristic age where we constantly got to be on the go, 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 go. Like you, no, not you, me has already been looking at Black Friday deals on how I can get something else at a cheap price because I'm a cheapo. <laughs> yeah, you can laugh at that one because I know if you laugh, that's you too. So, <laughs> But Matthew 11, 28, 30 says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon, upon you. Notice that a yoke is still a weight. Like a yoke is still this big old Wooden, battered thing that yokes up oxens. I'm not a farmer person. Even though I live in Sandy, there's cows next to my house that I get to say hi to coming here. But it yokes them together so they can do the work not only more effectively but powerfully. Like when you're yoked up, you have more power. And it's still a weight. But notice it's not the weight of man. It's not the weight of your expectations. It's not the weight of what you think a process or a thing should be or a system should be. It is God's weight, which is easy. And notice this. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody here in this morning. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. Somebody's heart has been broken in here before because somebody mishandled your heart. I don't know where you're at in this room. But I want you to know that God is gentle. Like he's not reckless with people's souls. He's not this irresponsible God that sees a soul and is like, oh, I hope you figure it out. Next person. No, he is gentle. Meaning he, had, he handles with care. He, he knows the value and cherishes what is in front of him. Thoughtful, precise, consistent. And that may not have been your experience, either a father, a mother, a boyfriend, or girlfriend, or whatever. But God is gentle. And because we experience this gentleness, we get to experience rest because we're learning to trust that this person is constant. So as we wait, as we realize the things that we try to take into our own hands and try to take control, we're coming up against the same wall over and over and over and over again. We learn how to say, God, I surrender. See, rest also means to surrender. To say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Actually, I'll have you come forward. There, there's... 
in closing, God is giving you and I an invitation to rest. As we wait, like Lane talked about last week, like God renews your strength. As we wait, we get to see God come through in the impossible situations that we feel like are up against us. But he's giving you an invitation to rest. Like scripture says, cast your cares, like I said before, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Meaning, the thing that you're so bent up about, the thing that, yes, it is important, the thing that you're believing for, contending for, yes, it is important. He's saying, cast that onto me. Like, throw it. I will catch it. But also, too, because I died for that. And you guys all got your communion cups. We're going to take communion. And then we're going to worship. But this to me, like I shared in the first service, it makes me emotional every time I look at this because for me, this was personally an invitation to rest. For me, this resembled, I almost lost my life to suicide. What I was doing was not working. What I was believing was not working. What I was hoping for was not working. But there was a God that was beaten unrecognizable for me, with me in mind, thousands of years ago, as he took every single lash he had me and my children in mind. And he had you in mind. As his body was beaten and his blood was spilled and as he was nailed to the cross, we get to take communion in remembering what he did and also understanding it is an invitation to rest and abide in the unconditional, undeserving love of Jesus Christ. Without this, there is no this. This is just another gathering. This is a social club. Without this, we have no purpose. Without this, there is no meaning. But this, this right here is an invitation to rest. So we're going to take communion. But before, before we take communion, I, I, I want every head bowed eye closed. We didn't do this first service. If you are in this room, and you're like, you know what, Emmanuel? Things haven't been working for me. In fact, this is my last shot. I don't even know what this whole communion thing you're talking about, but one thing I do know is that my soul needs rest. And before you can truly take partake in this, 
I need you to understand the why. And that is accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Understanding that he died on the cross for you. Everything that you've done, sins past, sins present, sins future, have been forgiven because of what he did on Calvary. And because of that, we get to take communion and remember what he did. And in the room, it's still head bowed, eyes closed. If you are in the room and say, you know what? There's probably two different people in here. This is the first time I'm hearing this kind of love. Or you have turned your back on him before and you're saying, I want to say yes today. If that is you, I want you to shoot your hand up before we take communion. I see you. I see you. Let's go. I see you. For those of you that raise your hand, everybody, this is between us two. For those of you that raise your hand, I want you to look at me. You're forgiven. Scripture says, whom the Son set free is free indeed. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, God still loves you and forgives you. Died on the cross just, well, for all of us, but he died for you. Died for you. Even when you turn your back on him through hard seasons, he still died for you. And he's still saying, oh, son, daughter, I love you. And I just want to lavish my love on you. Yeah, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, nothing. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, you're loved by the Father. You're loved by the Father. For, for those of you that, that, that just raised your hand, I want you to come here. Come, come. For those of you that looked at, come here. Come here. Quick, quick. I know we, we got another service here. What you did was very courageous. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what cards have been handed to you, none of that. He died for you. He died for you. And this right here resembles the work that he did on the cross for you and for you. Every, every person in this room, I want your hands stretched forward and I want you guys to pray for these guys. Father, I thank you for these two. And in your own words, I want you to pray. Just asking God to forgive you and saying yes to him as your Lord and Savior. I want you to use your own words, but you have a family here now that is praying for you, believing for you, championing you, and will come alongside you along your walk with Christ. But Father, I thank you for these two. I thank you for their declaration of faith saying, God, I surrender to you 
my way is no longer and has not worked, but I trust that you will be Lord and Savior of my life. And today I declare you as Lord and Savior. Today my life is changed. Today I know that you see me. So God, we love you. We thank you. And I cannot wait to see what you do in these two people's lives. I truly believe communities, their families will be changed because of the yes that they said today. I believe that children that come from them and children's children will come to know you because of the declaration of faith that was made today. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen. Go ahead and clap it up for them. Sorry, we're, we're going to take communion, I, I promise. I had to make sure that happened. I wanted to make space for that. But this right here, again, as you know, resembles what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Please take the bread and eat. And for those two that said yes, this is no longer, this juice is actually pretty good and this cracker is actually pretty legit. But this is no longer some, a ritual that you do that has no meaning. This has significant eternal value to do to it. And drink the juice for the blood that was spilled for you and I. So we're going to worship and declare God's goodness in the waiting.